Hello and welcome to Settling the Score, the podcast where we discuss the great film scores. I'm Andy. And I'm John. That's right, it's still the podcast where we discuss the great film scores, even though we are now finished with our project of talking through the American Film Institute's 100 Years of Film Scores, their list of what were purportedly (laughs) the 25 best film scores in American cinema history. We're done with them. We did it. Yeah. We won't be saying purportedly anymore on this show. (laughs) Never say never. That too. Uh, Way to go us. And uh, now we're going to do something else. But before we do something else, we're going to do some nothing, which (laughs) is this episode, which comes between that one and the next thing, where we're just going to kind of look back at the list and uh, take stock and wrap it up. Yeah, the list was a big undertaking. So yeah, we're going to put a bow on it and then talk about where we go from here. Sound good? Yes, it does. Good enough. It sounds <laughs> good enough. <laughs> Maybe we can retire saying good enough now, too. <laughs> yes. Maybe we should have retired that 25 episodes ago. But yes, maybe that will be the last good enough. No, I think it was good enough. It was. Yeah. All right, Andy. So we got to the end of this list, and we were pretty critical of the whole list and of the phenomenon of making a list the whole time. And we, we had a lot of jibes at the AFI as we were going along. Yeah, we did. I hope they didn't sound too uh, rancorous because, you know, I like that there was a list. Yeah. I like that they made this list for us to traverse and um, complaining about it is part of the fun of lists, right? That's absolutely true. And what I was about to say is that my hot take, you started out last episode with your hot take. Here's my hot take in looking back at the list is that, you know what? I think the AFI did a pretty good job after all. Yeah. I mean, looking back at the list, I feel like we have to be fair that their job was more constrained than our job <laughs> in reordering it and saying what was good and you know sure because they it was all for publicity it's a publicity stunt i think they had to put the things that reflected the received wisdom mm-hmm. the list had to kind of at a glance look right if it didn't have gone with the wind and star wars at the top you might go oh they're being bold here right and uh, they didn't want that they wanted people to look at it and say yep Yeah, another thing that they were constrained by, and again, something that we touched on again and again, is that they were going to perform selections from the movies on this list in a concert. (laughs) Again, uh, maybe this will be the last time I get to say in the show, I was at that concert, Mm -hmm. and it was a good concert. It was really well programmed in terms of representing a breadth of styles, styles of music, styles of movie. A breadth of styles? Yes, a breadth, as I said. I thought you said a breath of styles. Both of them. The speakers were kind of breathy as well. Gave you a taste and a breath of a breadth. Uh, Yeah, well, you know, you're supposed to bring a picnic basket when you go to the Hollywood Bowl. So we had our breadth and our cheese, poured some wine. It was a nice time. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any inkling at the time that you would be talking about your attendance at that concert at such length in the years to come? No, I certainly didn't. Although I have had occasion to reflect back on the conversations that Becky and I had as we were walking up to the Hollywood Bowl, trying to guess at what was going to be on the list. And we said, you know, well, there's got to be at least two of this guy, and it's going to have to have this one and that one. And, you know, not to brag, but I said, if they're going to only limit themselves to three John Williams score 
numbers. These are the three I think they should be, and I was right, and I think they were right that those are the three John Williams scores that belong on such a list, and then, you know, kind of similar for Hermann. You know, I'm looking at my rankings now, and uh, sure enough, the top five I've got are all John Williams and Bernard Herman, which I kind of could have told you was what was going to happen before we started. <laughs> Mine's the same, right? Oh, except I have a corn gold up there. You have Robin Hood in there, too. And yeah, I might have been able to predict that, too. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. This list was made out of the stuff that would be your answers before you'd really thought too deeply about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what the AFI needs. If the AFI had really dug in hard and said, you know what? The best Jerry Goldsmith score is... Uh, islands in the stream everyone would go what is it <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about I, I haven't seen that i don't know what that is and it would make the list frustrating didn't he do chinatown yeah right why didn't you just put something i've heard of on there yeah exactly so they couldn't even really open themselves to that you know maybe the bottom fifth or so I, I think there are a few filler scores kind of cluttering up the bottom of the list as i've got them ranked that i think could easily have been left off and it would have been fine But stuff like Gone with the Wind and Lawrence of Arabia, which I was pretty harsh on those, uh, you know, you were too to varying degrees. I still feel like it was the right move for the AFI to put them on the list so that we could talk about how they're important and pivotal and then knock them down a few more pegs. They had to put them there. And then we had to uh, say what we wanted to say about them. Lists are for complaining, as you said. Yeah. You propose a canon, and then other people say, I think you got it wrong, and then they propose one, and like, that's the cultural activity. Yeah. You know, I'm glad we didn't have to assert the canon. That's the thankless job, is right. to be the person who stands up and says, this is the official top 10, because you're wrong. And then someone else <laughs> comes and tears it down. But it's a good thing to participate in. Here's a kind of sideways jump thought I had while reviewing some of these in the past week. Sure. I thought you could tie all of this together through the concept of myth-making, which we talked about in the Star Wars episode. And when I went back to look at How the West Was Won and listen to the first episode, which, as we said at the time, was pretty rough compared to what came later. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. I thought it's kind of relevant here. I think the reason that the How the West Was Won score didn't really mean that much to us, even though it has some nice music, some skilled music in it. Sure. Relates to what we said right at the beginning of that episode, which is that that score is for a movie that is putting forward an old narrative of American history. You said at the time, like, this is about as late as you could make a movie like this that just confidently asserts that Manifest Destiny was real and, you know, the European settlers had the right to take land from the Indians. That whole framing pretty much stopped being palatable right after (laughs) that movie was made. Our lack of enthusiasm for that score, I think it arises pretty directly from our lack of sympathy for the particular tradition of myth-making that that movie was trying to put forward. Hmm. And I started to think, you know, I think that what the music is doing in almost every movie, as we said it was doing in Star Wars, is promoting some concept of mythology or turning something into an archetype or trying to appeal to your sense that there's some ideal type of platonic whatever going on here and i think that our relationship to each of these scores is pretty proportional to our relationship to whatever the implicit myth of the score is And that's kind of what the AFI is doing with their list making, too. They are appealing to a certain myth that Hollywood has about itself, and they're trying to promote a certain 
idea. And I think the two of us have a similar degree of sympathy for that myth. Like, yeah, (laughs) these are all the great classics. And somewhere up in a Boulevard of Broken Dreams cheesy painting somewhere, (laughs) you know, the Godfather is hanging out with Gone with the Wind is hanging out with Star Wars. (laughs) And we're like, yeah, 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 we get it. We know it's A, stupid and B, fun to believe in that. Yeah, I drive by that painting on Hollywood Boulevard all the time. There's a mural on whatever building it is of, yeah, like, you know, Marlon Brando in The Wild One hanging out with the Terminator, hanging out with Charlie Chaplin, hanging out with uh, Marilyn Monroe. You know, That's right. They're all up in Hollywood heaven yeah. playing poker with the dogs playing poker. <laughs> it's a myth. The idea that there's a list and it's the right list is a kind of myth. And maybe the connection there is pointless, but I did note that connection between what music is doing and what the AFI is doing. I like that because as you were talking about that, as you were saying, yeah, that the music is proposing the concept to you that what you're witnessing is some incarnation of a more perfect ideal that is behind it. That's kind of something that we've said about a lot of these scores. I'm casting my eye up here. Like, let's see, The Magnificent Seven. We said, well, this is just the sound of a Western. Doesn't matter what Western they actually made in this movie. This is just the concept of a Western. Right, right. I remember we talked about the Marlboro Man and yeah. iconography. Iconography. And uh, in Robin Hood, we talked about how, you know, this music is about the concept of a swashbuckling sword fight. And, you know, the actual sword fight that they choreographed is sort of a parallel attempt to access the same ideal. And when we talked about E.T., which is still at the top of my list, my enthusiasm about it was sort of that it created this archetype of the grand scale sweeping romance of uh, American middle-class childhood of a suburban childhood as a grand thing with grand emotions in it right that's a myth that you you know you felt the myth being founded there and it influenced my life i think the lives of almost everyone i know uh yeah so you know it's probably at the top of my list because that's a myth that got its fingers into my outlook sure i mean yeah keep going here we talked about how the music in the godfather was powerful because it was evoking these cyclical inexorable stories and patterns and cycles right the old country still has sway over you because you're stuck with destiny sure And in Vertigo, the music was about Jimmy Stewart reaching for an idealized version of this woman he was obsessed with that was outside of the actual woman, you know, that lived only in his head. And the music was this incredible evocation of what it means to be obsessed with some imagined ideal of a concept that is behind what you're actually looking at in front of you. Right. I haven't read enough Freud to know if he uses the word myth, but something about, you know, the myth that governs your sex drives, I think, is what Vertigo is about. Like, whatever that guy is lusting for, it's in his head, it's something he's enthralled to, but it's not real. Yeah, I mean, you want to keep going down the list? Maybe we should leave it to our listeners. Here, write in some essays. This is such an essay question prompt. Yeah. (laughs) Now you, pick one of them and discuss how it gets at the concept of underlying myth. Yes, in five-paragraph form. Yeah, the first paragraph (laughs) should say what you're about to say. Right. And the last paragraph should say what you just said. So that makes it easier. (laughs) Uh, Before we go much further into this wayward conversation, I think it's probably time I should introduce the rather prolonged quiz that I have made for you and for the listeners, John, because it's going to take up some time. Yeah. All right. I'm nervous about this. As well you should be. Oh, good. Because unlike the quiz you made for me in the Star Wars episode which you had every intention of my acing. Right. Whether or not I should be proud of that is up for debate, but you were correct. This quiz is almost the opposite of that. 
the spirit here was, you know, a trip down memory lane, but via a defamiliarizing effect of like extreme close-ups of little bits that you can't recognize until you think about it. Okie dokie. We'll see whether it's any fun. (laughs) Yeah, we sure will. I'm not going to keep a score here, and I don't think any listeners should keep a score, but I would propose to you that the one-point question is, which movie and which score is this from? Uh And then the 10-point or 100-point question is, Oh my gosh. Exactly what scene in the movie is it from? (sighs) All right. All right, John. This is your life. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Do you remember this clip oh boy here we go Andy what the hell is that (laughs) you don't you don't remember that uh wait a minute I mean I can try to be what the hell (laughs) well you should do some process of elimination here oh man (laughs) You got to have a quiz where you're like, bam, 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 bam. And now I'm going to have to... All right, so we got some piano over strings. I don't recognize this melody. That's the thing, you see. If I had picked the main themes, I know you'd know those. Everyone knows those. Okay, so I hear a piano with a harp behind it and some strings. So sounds like the ensemble that was in Chinatown, but I don't think it's Chinatown. doesn't sound like Goldsmith. It doesn't sound like Goldsmith. It doesn't sound like Williams either. That's right, it doesn't. So that knocks off five. <laughs> Is that from the mission? No, but that's a reasonable guess in terms of sound and era but that's not it. Out of Africa. It is from out of Africa. Uh, Okay. Yeah. All right. I should have gotten that faster. It's got a kind of simple harmonic language, you know, maybe a little slightly pat melody on top of some, some soupy strings. I should have put that together earlier. That is, uh, that is the John Barry playbook. It is the John Barry sound. The misleading thing is that most of the score has the strings playing the melody. And this is a scene that has the piano playing the melody, which I thought maybe you'd remember which scene that was. Do you remember that scene? I mean, you started out with a movie that I really hated (laughs) (laughs) and haven't thought about. Yeah. Uh, It's got this um, surprise major cadence at the end. I don't know. It's not the sex scene, but maybe this is like some other romantic moment. No, because we talked about how there wasn't even music for the romantic moments in that movie. It's the scene where Meryl is showing her incredible storytelling skills and enrapturing her guests. Remember that toward the beginning of the movie? The child and the warlord with Cheng Wan's love gift coiled about his neck. (sighs) Andy, I don't remember that. You don't remember that that even happened. I I mean, I I can convince myself that I do, but listen. Look, the amount of material that is being quizzed to here is gargantuous. It's it's by definition unfair. Uh, Listen, I'm going to get some of these and it's going to be impressive. Okay? Uh, Like one or two at least. I agree. And also, as I was thinking about what order to put them in yesterday and thinking, would I get these? I was like, let's be honest. I I wouldn't get (laughs) most of these. Who's going to get most of these? I thought it was fun to go back and revisit these things not through the segments that were played in the concert. That's basically it. Well, I see. <laughs> Let's try clip two. <laughs> All right. Give me the next one. Do you remember this? It has a sort of rising, diminished harmony pattern, which is something that we talked about happening in King Kong, but 
I can tell that this isn't King Kong because of the recording quality and also because of the featured presence of a piano, which was not the case for King Kong. I think you, this is another one that when you hear what it is, you'll go, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe I should have gotten that. Um, it's in the second half I would focus on. I don't think that sounds like anything. <laughs> Are you looking at the list of movies? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking at the list of movies. I can I can uh, eliminate a bunch of them. Is it High Noon? No, but that's uh, that may be my, my second guess here, yeah. But that's not it. All right, I give up, Andy. What is that one? Does it not sound at all maybe like a charge of camels? <sighs> Do you hear the sound of maybe some camels yeah, okay. in there? Okay, now that you said camels, I should have guessed that. I should have guessed it. Uh, <laughs> well, now it seems obvious. Yeah, that's the scene. I think it's one of the scenes where they're like, you know, we have two days before the camels run out of water, so we better go. Okay, go. did we say that it's Lawrence of Arabia? In Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, Andy, I see. So, you've basically, you've gone up from the bottom of the way we rank things. Okay, <laughs> good to know. Let me hear the next one. All right. John, what about this old friend? Aha. 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 <laughs> the, all right, I got this one. Those at the end there, we heard what I believe I described as the goofy, galumphing footsteps of Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther. That's correct. It's your friend Inspector okay. Clouseau. Thank you, thank you. Oof. And can you name the scene? Can you say anything about what's going yeah, on? Yeah, Inspector Clouseau is sneaking around. Something about he has to get back into his room before Capucine finds he's gone, or I don't remember what happens, but... He's bringing her back some hot milk. There you go. Yeah. That's it. He's sneaking around in the hotel in the ski chalet. He sure is. You, John, you got one plus a hundred points Thank on you. that All one. Right. Fine. Now I'm chuffed. All right. I'm on a roll, maybe. Let's see what happens next. Let's listen to number four. I think I know what this is. Uh-huh. I'm going to say this is Chinatown. You know, that is a very fair guess based on the instrumentation yeah, that's w- and the kind of business that's going on. Very fair guess. Thank you. I guessed that because I thought I heard some of that bizarre piano thunking in the beginning. You did, yes. My concept here was that this is the kind of rushing around string stuff that you hear toward the end of Psycho as reused by a different composer. And the reason you know it's not Psycho is because, indeed, there are pianos at the beginning. But the composer who is borrowing that sound is not Jerry Goldsmith. This is, in fact, from Jaws by John Williams. What? This is when Richard Dreyfus has just dropped the all-important spear with the poison tip and is now uh, alone yeah. in the broken cage having to fend for himself. Well, now that you say that, I feel like, sure, I can hear that. Hey, uh, why don't we all hit pause for a second <laughs> and go back and listen to <laughs> all of the music that's ever been written, and then we'll come back for the quiz. Let's hear clip number five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what this is. Okay, well, it's definitely Vertigo. I recognize the habanero rhythm there in the winds, right? 
That's right, yes. Even the nefarious Quizmaster could not find a section of Vertigo that did not immediately telegraph that it was from Vertigo. It all sounds like Vertigo. Yeah, okay. Can you identify the scene? I doubt it, to be honest. I certainly would not be able to. But if you can do a little bit of uh, math with the elements in the music there, if you do a little... Sure. Well, the habanero rhythm is associated with Carlotta, which is the put-on that Kim Novak is working. So uh, I'm guessing that this is one of the scenes where Scotty is tailing her and she is doing something Carlotta-related. Maybe this is when he sees her in the hotel and goes in after her to find her where she's checked into the hotel as Carlotta, something like that. That's not the case, but those are indeed very fair guesses. This is the scene toward the end of the movie where Scotty has just moments earlier made the fateful recognition that the necklace reveals that he has been duped the whole time Ah. and now is standing stoically while she throws herself at him. Uh While the Carlotta revelation is echoing in his head. Scotty, I do have you now, don't I? All right, well, as you said, you doubt you would have gotten that. (laughs) I don't think I would have gotten the scene. It's very hard. I mean... Going back and trying to find tricky little bits of these scores, you quickly find that some of the scores are full of little crevices that don't give away where they're from. And other scores, like especially Bernard Herrmann's scores, they just sound like themselves. Every note of every bar, that personality is strong. And Vertigo is definitely one of those. But yes, that means that internally it kind of resembles itself and it's hard to see which scene is which. (sighs) All right, now I want to keep trying. (laughs) I'm a glutton for punishment. You're in the mood. I wasn't sure if you were being driven crazy. I mean, I can be both. (laughs) Yes, and so can the listeners. Sorry, listeners. I don't know what you're doing here. All right, give me another one. Give me another one. All right. John. Yes. Where have you heard this before? All right. Well, that's definitely Steiner, first of all. Yes. All right. So is it Gone with the Wind or is it King Kong? I'm going to say it's King Kong. That is correct. Okay. If you get what scene it is, you get a million points because they all kind of sound self-similar. Yeah, I'm going to guess that this is a scene in which King Kong is uh, doing something. It's correct, John. You get the million points. You get the million points. This is, in fact, the moment when Kong mounts to the very tippy top of the Empire Ah. State Building and prepares to do battle with the airplanes. All right. So all of the much more explicit climbing up music has already passed. That's right. He has just, I think at the beginning of this clip, he is setting down Fay Ray in her Uh safe spot on the ledge there, and then he steps up to the tip. All right. I'm warming to the task. Give me the next one. You're doing it. And of course, the process of elimination. There are no repeats here, for fairness' sake, I Excellent. will announce. So you are allowed to take that into account. I dare you to stop me. All right. I, I feel good about your chances with this one. Thank you. Think back. Think back <laughs> to when you heard this. I think I'm going to poll the audience. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Call a friend. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, okay, 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 okay. 
Ah, good job finding a particularly nondescript clip of On Golden Pond. That is correct. (laughs) This is one of the deepest and most emotional moments in the movie, which means nondescript. (laughs) Can you remember which scene this is? I mean, doesn't it sound like a pond? It sure sounds like a pond. I gotta give it that. There is that clarinet that we talked about being part of this sitcom bumper texture. Yeah, sounds like TV. It sounds a little bit like we're establishing a new scene in a show. Well, maybe we are. You know, I think that this is a tender moment between Henry Fonda and... Well, that's not quite right. Why don't we listen to the answer? How'd it go? How'd it go? All right, when you're fishing. The kid thinks he's caught something, but he's actually just drawn in the corpse of a dead loon. Hmm. And it casts a pall over their evening, and Henry Fonda tells him to drop it back in. And we hear this wistful clarinet as they contemplate mortality. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> fun? Are we having? Some. 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 We're having some fun. Okay, let's do number eight. Oh, yeah, this one's tricky. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oof. It's definitely John Williams. That's right. The composer's handprints are all over it. So now what can we make of that? That at the end is a classic. The trills with the strings. It's a classic Williams move. I think you've zoomed in on something here that I might have been tempted to say is Raiders of the Lost Ark, but... That would be even trickier than I have dared to be. These are, in fact, the movies from the list. Right. He does those spooky, trill steps. When he wants you to feel kind of spooked out by something, but also, uh, you know, recognize that there's a little campness to... You're being spooked out by it. Yes, you have identified the flavor of this moment very accurately. Very accurately. So it's in E.T. That's right. And there's something gross, but it's kind of fun that is gross. Well, that's a good concept, but that's not quite the way that this moment is camp. Uh, This Mickey Mouse is a Spielbergian flourish at the very end there with the timpani roll. Here is my clue for what scene this is. There are no human or alien characters of any kind on screen. Inanimate objects only. Huh. Oh, oh, is this when the um, hose pulls the chair up against the wall when the government people... That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. The extension cord that the... Extension cord, yeah, yeah. Uh, ...government agents are using there for the go. Geiger counter or something tugs so tight that it pulls the chair against the wall, representing yeah. in a comic way the threat that they pose, having broken into the house. Yeah. Well done, John. Yeah, kind of. 101 points. All right, I'll take it. Yeah. I'm on a roll. Give me another. Boy, there's a lot left. There sure are. That was eight. Let's look at number nine. Okay, I recognize this. Yeah, impossible for you to hide that this is psycho. Impossible. No matter how far afield you go in Psycho, you always find more Psycho. (laughs) It's an onion that way. Uh I think that this is from the second half of the movie. That's correct. I think that this is when Janet Lee's sister is making her way up to the Bates 
motel. It is so close to that moment. It's so close that to I'll that I'll give it to that you. You may as well give it to me. It is just prior to that when yeah, yeah. Lila and Sam have arrived at the Bates Motel and are quietly scoping it out before Norman comes out to greet them. I wonder where Norman Bates does his hermiting. Someone's at that window. I just saw the curtain move. Well? Just coming up the ring for you. Uh-huh. Suppose you want a room. We were going to try to make yeah, it it's kind of amorphous and blobby and, you know, much less regimented than the first half of the score is. And it's uh, kind yeah. of... S- These are icky chords that he's kind of saved icky. for this point. We haven't heard them before because we don't, you know, we're unsettled. We're thrown out of right. the order of things. And also they're searching. You can feel them reaching out their little amoeba pseudopods to feel what's around them. It's detective work. It's the sound of yeah. detecting. Okay. Ooh, the sound of detecting. I wonder if that will be a segue into the next clip. I don't remember. I don't remember the order you're about to hear them in. We are now up to the clip called Clip 10, and here it is. Okay, no detectives in this clip. That's right. You already get a half point for identifying whether or not detectives are present. Right. All right, this is definitely on the waterfront. That's correct. You can tell because it's playing around with that four-note motif that we talked about. That's right. Not in your face, but it is the building block yeah. here. Like you said then, it kind of does something with it. Also, there's a little bit of canon going on, which Lenny loves and most of these other composers don't uh, meddle with. Sure. Yeah, and there's, there's some of this kind of American bluesy dissonance to it that is Bernstein's bailiwick. Yep. Exactly. So what moment is it? It's a tender moment in On the Waterfront. Maybe tender but pained a little bit? Uh, Certainly pained. I'm going to say that this is a tender but pained moment from On the Waterfront. That's a great guess, John. I'm going to give you the 100 points for getting the scene right. (laughs) This is from the cue called Dead Pigeons. It is when Terry goes out and finds that because he is testifying against the mob... The kid who used to help him with the pigeons has spitefully killed all of the pigeons. Boy, what a... And he mourns for them. What a jerky little kid. What do you have to do that for? Every one of them. We didn't really touch on that in that episode, but boy. The kid's eyes are full of tears. It's painful for all of them. I think that if I had been left hanging in the wind for long enough, I might have guessed, in fact, that scene. I, I, I was about to say pigeons. Kind of ish. Yeah, it's a pigeony part of the movie. All right, so we've done 10 now, mm-hmm. and I've been getting better, getting my head more in the game here. Yeah, I mean, I knew that, you know, it's not really a fair quiz. No, it's not. Though you weren't going to get all of them. No, and I wasn't. And you're doing fine. And I'm doing yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, do you want to take a little break? Sure, let's take a break from this is your list. <laughs> so. We both, I think, tend to express ourselves dogmatically in sentences like, well, you can't do this. You know, if you're composing, you can't do this unless you do that. Or a good score has to do such and such. Uh Because that feels like we've landed on a point. It's satisfying to express yourself that way. But (laughs) I actually, in looking back, was struck that there really is no rule about how a movie score works. Hmm. 
you know, like uh, in the On Golden Pond, Dave Grusin said that his job as music was just to be the geography. And then in To Kill a Mockingbird, Elmer Bernstein said he wanted to be very careful not to get involved with the geography. And... You know, you, John, in many of the conversations talk about, well, you want the music to be synced closely to the picture. And then we'll find other examples where we say, well, the music is kind of at a distance from the picture or loose, and we really like the effect. Basically, any tack you want to take and any effect you want to go for (laughs) could be good, could be great. I wanted to reassert that, that really anything goes if it works. And also just that I sort of marveled at it because it's a weird, arbitrary thing. It's an artificial convention for there to be music in a movie, non-diegetic music in a movie, as they say, music that's not being made by anything in the movie. And so you'd think that within a convention, you'd have to stick to some scheme that's the way it works and the reason that it works. But there's just infinite possibilities. Uh, And I was struck by that thinking about these 25 movies. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, for sure. And I am looking forward to continuing our show and venturing outside of what, you know, the AFI felt like it had to put on the list to represent its image of what Hollywood is and sounds like and coming across even more examples of things that you can do, ways that the music can work. For sure, it's almost impossible to pin it down. But I do think that there are principles behind the mechanics that do have to be in place. Maybe that's the myth that I have been inspired (laughs) to project behind what's in front of me. But like, remember our first Oscar episode when we were talking about Dunkirk and Phantom Thread? Yeah. And we were saying that both of these scores were coming at the idea of what to do with music for a movie in radically different techniques than anything we had talked about on the list to that point. Yeah, that's right. But we were still able to talk about how the music was interacting with the story and capturing emotions. I don't think it wound up having goals that were all that new after all. No matter what relationship the music strikes with the synchronization to the picture, it's got to have an idea of what emotion it is inhabiting. And it's got to have an idea of what storytelling force it is lending its weight to. You know, I clearly agree with you because I end up expressing that a lot. Right now, I just want to be expressing that the it's gotta is always after the fact. Ultimately, we're always just responding to the way things feel. And then we try to figure out how to break down what we just felt and why. And for me, this tied to thinking about the uh, deep regrets portion of this episode that uh, maybe we'll get to in a minute where we are allowed (laughs) to move things around. I think sometimes maybe I undervalued just, hey, this is good music and you get to listen to it while you're watching this movie. Hmm. In thinking about that, then I thought, you know, that's a legitimate kind of value to pick In the first place, if a score wanted to just offer musical pleasures to people who are watching, why not? Who says they can't? (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm really just expressing the who says they can't. No one, not us. We're not saying they can't. They can do whatever they want. All right. Well, I'm curious to see how that gets borne out in your deep regrets. Do you have some deep regrets? Is that going to happen? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. All right. Let's get through another chunk of clips here, and then we'll get to that. All right. I think we were up to 11 was going to be the next one. Play me 11. John, this is <laughs> You don't 11. have to do the whole shtick of it. <laughs> yeah, I sure don't. Ooh, I had different thoughts as I was going along. Mm-hmm. Pray tell. 
Okay, the thing that I'm going to focus in on, I think that was the most signifying to me, was the brass towards the end. Yeah, I mean, there might be some of the thematic material from this movie right in there. Yeah. I think I'm hearing some of the thematic material, and I also think I'm hearing some of the textural color that you praise so highly in The Adventures of Robin Hood. That is correct. The brass and marimba there in the middle are pretty much playing Robin Hood's theme. But it sounds like, all right, so now I have to guess what this is. So there's this kind of whispery, it's nighttime maybe, or it's relatively quiet, but there's still some danger, there's some tension, there's maybe some fight in the offing, something like that. Maybe he's creeping around the castle. It does sound like nighttime, but I'm going to help you out here by saying that it is not, in fact, nighttime. All right. Well, I still think it has that kind of come before a storm of battle feel to it. That is correct. It's somebody's getting ready to pounce. Robin Hood's getting ready to pounce on some bad guys. More or less. You can have your 100 points. This is from the queue called... You can give me 70 or something. I'll give you 72 points. Thank you. This is from the queue called The Gallows. Robin Hood is being brought Ah, up to the noose. Right, right, right. Meanwhile, his merry men are making eyes at each other, preparing to save him at the last second. You can absolutely hear the eyes being made. Exactly. Okay, let's reel off a few. Bam, bam, quick, all right? I'm just going to get them straight off. Okay, clip 12. Boop, boom. Okay, so right away I hear what I believe is a reference to Joe's theme from Sunset Boulevard. That's right, transformed, but you can't be fooled. Uh, Well, I certainly can be, as has been demonstrated (laughs) already, but this is from Sunset Boulevard. It is. This is... That's Joe. Although we talked about how Joe's theme sometimes shows up in unexpected places, I think, I remember. This isn't too unexpected. All right, this is... uh... He's being put through some drudgery. Joe is being, uh, he's at the mercy of Norma Desmond's madness one way or another. She's ranting and he's kind of has to deal with it in some way. Yes, close enough. Yeah. At least 85 points there. All right. This is a cue called Sacrifice of Self-Respect. So you pretty much nailed that. Uh Uh-huh. And that is the sting after a humiliating line. Do you remember the humiliating line that has just been spoken? (sighs) No, remind me. Well, as long as the lady's paying for it, why not take the vacuum Oh, yeah. (laughs) I really liked that guy. (laughs) He leans his little weaselly mustache into shot. Just the most weaselly mustache (laughs) in cinema, right? Yeah, it's there to make Joe feel ashamed of himself. Great. Everybody feels ashamed of that mustache. Number 13. Number 13 it is. All right, I was waiting for a thing to happen that you cleverly snipped the clip before it got to it. But I think the next thing that you hear is some sort of weird clunking piano stuff. It is. In the score to Chinatown. Yes, it's so burnt in your brain that you knew what was going to come next, even though it's not in the clip. Yeah, this is the sound of a detective detecting. Oh, can you say the scene? You have a good chance of getting it right. The next thing we hear is dum dum ding dum ding ding dum dum or something like that. Yeah, I think it's just thunk thunk. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, thunk thunk. Oh, uh, Jack Nicholson has just discovered some clue or other. He has, yes. Yeah. Wha- what's the clue? What what has he got? 
I believe this cue is called The Last of Ida. Ah. And he is in the kitchen of the now-murdered Ida Sessions, the woman who pretended to be Mrs. Mulray at the beginning. Yeah. Yep. 98 points, John. Thank you. 14. 14. Yeah, so my first thought about this was that it sounds like Roja. I thought it was some arduous doings in Ben-Hur. But then it got to the end, and I thought, wait a minute, this sounds a little bit too, like, really hitting the major chord for what I remember happening in Ben-Hur. But now I think that maybe it is some business to do with Jesus at the end of Ben-Hur. That's not right. But everything else about it is right. It's Roja in Ben-Hur. Okay. You nailed the style. I think Arduous Doings is the name of the game here. So well done. Yeah. This is from the queue called Exhaustion. And it is when everyone other than Charlton Heston is being given water after trudging through the desert. And he is so desperate for water. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, but then Jesus shows up, right, and gives him water. That's right. Jesus has not shown up in that queue, but you're correct. The next thing that happens is that a kind man's feet show up and give Charlton Heston water. Yeah, They are the holy feet. The holy feet. How beautiful. 15? All right, great. 15. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. This is Star Wars. I heard it uh, instantly. You heard me hear it. I heard you hear it. Because you would have aced that ridiculous fanboy test that you gave me (laughs) as well. Right. And now you're sighing because you want to be able to say what scene it is. Yeah, and I feel like I'm close to being able to. I deliberately went to a place that is about as little beloved as any spot in this score. This is the. This is like a transition. This is. Uh, it is a transition. What is being established in the last seconds there? This is the end of one little bit. Wipe two. Right. It's definitely a wipe. Ah, uh, Eisley. No, but you know, it's not too far from there. Just tell me, and then I'll. You go on, Master Luke. There's no sense in you risking yourself on my account. Wow. I'm done. One of the most who cares moments in Star Wars, just for you. No, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freight. I think you found the absolute bottom of of the whole landscape of it. Yeah, that is the point to which the water flows. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's the establishing shot of Obi-Wan Kenobi's hut. That is not really a very good exterior. (laughs) Or interior, really. It's just like the most plain space in the whole movie. Yeah, it's not a really well thought through aspect of the movie. Like, what what is he doing out there? What kind of a life does he lead? I don't know. It's a house. They found it in Tunisia somewhere. Done. All right. Look, I... I think not getting it is respectable. I think in this case, it really is (laughs) something worth respect in itself. (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, I knew it was a Star Wars transition moment of little import, all right? You got Star Wars in the first second, and you knew it was a transition of little import. You nailed it. You can yeah. have 100 points. That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yo, you can have 80 points. <laughs> okay, I'll take my 80 points and move on to 16. And move on. 16. So this sounds like some kind of generic churning along Mm. with all of a sudden a little snippet of a Mm. out-of-place descending major triad, which is part of a song from High Noon. Mm, That's correct. Churning along and snippets of a song is how it works. (laughs) That's right. What specific moment in And if you get the specific scene, that is an astonishing display of something. (laughs) Something. I I have very, very low expectations of anyone getting the specific scene. But go ahead, take a stab. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Yeah, give me a hint. Based on the cue list, I believe that this particular cue is called Musical Bridge 3. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for the hint. No problem. I don't know. Something at the train station? I'm not going to get it. This is when he walks into the church and calls for help, and they have not yet talked themselves out of it. Uh, I think if you listen to the clip, he's saying something like, I need all the special deputies I can get. (laughs) All right. To the congregation. Well, what are we waiting for? Andy, I want to point out that this is a very hard quiz. Has that been mentioned? It's not a quiz intended to be done (laughs) it's to be contemplated as a possible quiz about which you think oh that would be interesting if those were the questions i see it's a myth of a quiz it is the myth of a name that tune quiz yeah and like all myths it is larger than life (laughs) it's larger than my life anyway yeah i hope it's larger than all of the listeners lives if you are acing this quiz you can write in and tell us about that but uh i'm sorry sorry to hear it Seventeen. Seventeen. Hmm. 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 It's got some low-thunking piano, but we've already had Chinatown. That's right. You can rule out a lot of these because they just wouldn't do that. Sure. Gone with the Wind wouldn't do this. No, no way. Laura wouldn't do this. Right. I don't think How the West Was Won would do this. Probably not. I mean, the use of the piano there makes me want to say Planet of the Apes, but I don't think Planet of the Apes has such consonant chords in it. Mm Mm-hmm. What would you guess are the thematic or emotional elements being put forward here? What do you think is being expressed here? This is a moment of nervous anticipation. Mm-hmm. What kind of thing's being anticipated? What kind of thing could be anticipated in such a moment? Do you want the name of the cue? I could give you that as a clue. Yeah, give me the name of the cue. The name of the cue is The Sword. What? That's right. Here's another clue. You have forgotten that this ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? You do not remember this shot of this movie. 
I feel confident. <laughs> I mean, what movie that's left even has a sword in it? Good question. <sighs> I'll give you this also. It's kind of like a Chekhov's sword in that we hadn't seen it for a while, and now we're seeing it again. I see. This is from La Morte d'Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I can't wait to watch that. Is this from The Mission? It's from The Mission. All right. I thought that the thunks and the kind of particular pungent but melancholy sound of those chords might allow it, but I'll I'll grant you it's not totally fair. No, I think it's totally not fair to rearrange those words. But yeah, I don't know. Robert De Niro's got a sword or something? Yeah, you see, Robert De Niro has become a man of peace, but uh, now that war is on the horizon... One of the Guarani boys goes to the river and pulls out the weapons that fell down there much earlier in the movie. Uh And we see the sword and we hear the rumblings of the battle to come. Yeah, well, listen, if you had picked the music from when the stuff fell in the river in the first place, would have gotten that. I know you would have gotten that. That's really cool. I know you would have gotten that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get through to 20 and then we'll take a little break. Okay. So 18. 18. If I had to use a word to describe what this is and what this sounds like, the word I would use is frippery. It is frippery, yes, of some kind. The most notable location to find frippery <laughs> was in the Scordagon with the Wind. So this is some sort of society frippery. Scarlett O'Hara is, oh, I don't know, getting ready for the ball or is uh, prancing down the staircase she's, prob- a, she's actually much more grown up now but it's the same social territory but now uh-huh. that she has got the new store which is which cue this is from this is actually the sound of society gossips this is a gossip oh, montage gossip the gossip montage i was going to guess that it was like a month it has a little kinship with you know newspapers spinning into frame telling you what happened yeah this is like close-ups of women whispering in each other's ears i heard that she did this and do you know dolly merriweather that dr mead actually saw her peddling lumber to those yankees herself and that isn't all. I think it's shocking. The main thing is, it sounds like Max Steiner's idea of society frippery circa 1939, and there's no mistaking that, and you got it. Yeah, that's right. There's no mistaking it. Certainly not by me, but with any mistaking of it that I did. Okay, next one. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is a streetcar named Desire. I'm certain of that. That's correct. How are you certain of it? I thought that might be a tough one. Aha! Uh, Because it sounds like it. There you have it. And I think it's from the towards the end of Streetcar Named Desire. Mm Mm-hmm. Because although the end of Streetcar Named Desire is tragic, and this sounds like it's in a pleasant frame of mind, but I feel like this is the result of some sort of processing and catharsis. That's the feeling it gives to me. That's a hundred-point answer right there, John. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I think it's close to the end. I think that this is forming some sort of tragic contrast against Blanche's kind of break with reality. That's exactly what this is. Excellent. 
Shall we go now, Blanche? This is Blanche being in a floaty state of mind in her little room behind the curtain. And mm-hmm. they say, oh, a man is here to see you. And yes. she's like a gentleman. Yes, and yes, And she's yes. getting ready to walk out to be confronted by the doctor and say the last line of the movie. Let me go through that room. I'll go with you. I did it. You nailed it. With that confidence, I will turn my gaze to number 20. Let's... All right, well, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Andy, did you, uh, did you write this? Did you write this as, like, the midpoint of a morph between two of the remaining scores? No, one of the composers of these scores wrote it as a midpoint of a morph between two of the remaining scores. It is deliberately chosen to be confusing. (laughs) Thanks, Andy. This represents an extreme of one of the scores. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's some poignant-sounding winds, solo winds. We talked about an array of solo wind textures being very poignant in To Kill a Mockingbird. We did. But I don't think this is that. Hmm. What do you think? I think that on the strength of the wavering, like, echoey vibraphone sound here at the top, Mm -hmm. and then also the fact that I kind of recognize that there's a certain order to these notes that Mm -hmm. seems oddly familiar. Yes, unrecognizable, yet you recognize it. Yet there's some inscrutable order behind it. (laughs) It must be Planet of the Apes. That is correct, John. You navigated your way out of the dangerous shoals of this clip. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm impressed that you found a clip of Planet of the Apes that did not immediately scream Planet of the Apes at the top of well, the Well, that's clubs. exactly what the task was, and you can imagine how I ended up at this clip, which, can you name the scene? As you said, an extreme of Planet of the Apes. Is this the somewhat relatively tender music uh, for Charlton Heston in his cage with Nova, his mate, that was jokingly referred to as love theme from Planet of the Apes by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, Yeah, it's not quite that, but that's a good 87-point answer. (laughs) This is the somewhat tender music for Charlton Heston in his cage alone when he has just revealed to Zira, the sympathetic ape scientist, that he can, in fact, understand and write English. Get me a collar and leash. And she is looking in astonishment at the note he has scrawled. And it's saying that she wants him transferred out of the cage immediately. All right, very good. Very good. Very good. You want to do the deep regrets? What do you want to do now? Yeah, all right. So now there are only five clips left to go. Let's do the deep regrets uh, reassessment of our lists and then knock out the last five and then bring this thing to a close and say what we're going to do next. Sounds good. That's my plan. That's a good plan. So for this, I don't know if you have things that you want to move around yourself and you may but i thought that what we might do is that each of us must pick a movie on the other's list 
mm-hmm. that that other person must then reorder. Hmm. And essentially, we each get to pick something that we thought the other one got wrong and <laughs> make them fix it. All right. I haven't thought so much about what you got wrong, but I will look and see if I can summon such a feeling. Uh, yeah. You know, I was looking over my list and I said it earlier. I thought some of these, I think that I was to the point of stubbornness purist about whether i was rating the score in the movie yeah uh, as opposed to the score and you know some of them just have some good music that i would rather give some credit to as having good music even if there is some quibbles i gotta admit i had some similar thoughts i mean listening back to the extraordinarily principled stand i took about the mission yeah i think gives it short shrift in pretty similar ways i also wonder if this means that you're gonna elevate how the west was won perhaps Well, the two that I singled out as, hey, I would move those up, Uh were the mission, as you say. I think that mine is higher than yours, but... Just a couple slots. Yeah. You know, I've still got it below King Kong and Laura and Gone with the Wind. And, um, you know, it it feels like the mission has some special music in it that has a special quality in the movie. Just because the movie kind of falls apart and the score doesn't stop it from falling apart doesn't (laughs) mean that I need to hold that against the ranking of the score. Yeah, I've been feeling that way for a long time (laughs) about what I said, what I did to the mission. So I might be with you in moving that up. And the other one I'm willing to move up is the one that you at the time said, you'll move that up later. And that is on the waterfront. Oh, good. That is the one that I was going to force you to move up. Okay, so you go ahead, move those up, and then you'll be done. All right. Why don't I move on the waterfront up to the vicinity of A Streetcar Named Desire, which is to say I'm going to move it out from under Ben-Hur, out from under Planet of the Apes, out from under The Magnificent Seven. I think it's better than those. Yeah. Yeah, It's just like the music of it is rewarding to me. Yeah. And this is what I meant earlier. Watching the movie while music that is that rewarding to me plays is rewarding to me. Even if it also was creating some dramatic dissonance or whatever I was complaining about on that episode. I like it. Yeah. I like it despite being able to point out what it's doing wrong. It's a special thing. It's special. And it has some truly special moments. Yeah. It's just wonderful music and it is dramatic movie scoring music. It's yes. not like arbitrary music from another symphony. So let's move that up. I think that is where I'll put it. Underneath a streetcar named Desire? Right below a streetcar named Desire. I see those as sort of similar in uh, style and personality, and I think streetcar named Desire is slightly more sophisticated in the scoring sense that uh, I was just talking about. So that's a more comfortable place for it. I am so happy to hear you say that. I also have streetcar named Desire right above on the waterfront of my list. There are a few spots up from where you have streetcar, but I will take it. Okay, sounds good. And did you want me to move the mission to? You said you wanted to. You can. Yeah, I think I'm going to pop it up between Ben-Hur and Planet of the Apes. Okay. I think that yeah. the Ben-Hur music does the Ben-Hur thing wonderfully, but I can take it or leave it on any day that I'm not watching Ben-Hur. And the mission has stuff that, you know, when I hear it, I think, ooh, that's special. He's doing something remarkable there. So let's let's suddenly give that four points. So that's where <laughs> I'm going to put that. Okay, sounds good. So which of my listings do you think I got wrong and you want me to move? Let's take a look-see. I don't know. I mean, this is it's a perfectly good order. I felt at the time that you were being snooty about Gone with the Wind for slightly extra musical reasons. But whatever, you're entitled. That's fine. <laughs> it is awfully low, but go for it. No, man, I'm keeping that where it is. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't really want you to do any of this differently. I don't spend my time worrying about your list, John. <laughs> All right. All right. Fine. I'm just going to move the mission then. Yeah, do it. I'm going to give it a sizable leap here because I want to give Ennio Morricone credit. I think that a lot of music in the movie is wonderful, has a special affinity for the drama in a lot of spots, and the ways in which it didn't work weren't his fault. And, you know, like you said, I'll take your point of view. I'm happy to be listening to this music. Yeah. 
I think I'm going to move it up to just underneath Ben-Hur, actually, and right above Lawrence of Arabia. That sounds good to me. I think that a greater percentage of it really, really worked and compelled me with the story beats and the emotions than Lawrence of Arabia did, which had some you know, obvious key standout moments that are eternal, but a lot of the score uh, really doesn't get up to that height. I think the mission kind of has a higher hit percentage than Lawrence of Arabia, but I think it doesn't pass Ben-Hur because of just the sheer undeniable chops of Roja getting everything done and just being right with everything and making everything work. I was just thinking back to watching the mission, and even in the episode I said that the first time I was watching it, I thought, ooh, something special is happening. And then it was kind of like in retrospect to realize, no, no. Nothing special is happening. But that illusion or that sense that you're being brought into something, right. that, that's a product in itself. It's done pretty well. That's all Marconi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel good. Now people can finally go ahead and get that tattoo. Yeah. If you already got the tattoo, we're sorry. Yeah. But you have to get it removed and changed. You know what? Send us a bill for the laser <laughs> treatments to have it changed. We'll pay for it. It's totally fair. That's, I guess, that's the price I pay for changing my mind at this late date. Under <laughs> duress, though. Okay, here's something I thought. Yeah. John, I was thinking about, you know, best of and worst of kind of things. And I wrote down the movie that I like the most relative to its score. Uh-huh. Do you know what the answer would be for you? The movie? Okay, that's a good... I like that question. The movie that you really like the movie despite not liking the score very much. The movie that I think is the most better than its score. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, good question. Let me think. And then I'm going to do the flip in a second. I think the answer is pretty clear for me, actually, of what movie I think is the most better than its score. Go for it. I'm going to say it's High Noon. Oh, well, that's interesting. My answer was King Kong. Okay, that's also interesting. I mean, I think High Noon is actually a pretty good Western, and the story in it and the acting in it are pretty good, and like I was happy to be watching it, and the score, you know, was basically just the song, and we didn't really think it was that important to the movie, but I thought it was really a pretty good movie, and I have that pretty low on the list of scores here. I think that has the biggest ratio for me. King Kong, I can see that. I think I take more pleasure in King Kong than you do, and less pleasure in High Noon than you do, so that's why that is. Okay. Like, I'll watch King Kong anytime. I think it's loads of fun. And I think that what the music is doing is, while historically significant, right. no longer very interesting to the ear. High Noon feels like a sort of a TV episode to me on both the music and the movie. <laughs> so it feels sort of matched. All right. I mean, listen, have you seen TV recently? There's a lot of good stuff on TV. TV is great. So that's no knock against it. Okay. And now the score that I like the most relative to the movie. All right. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay. I think I have my answer. And I bet it's the same as yours, actually, because I'm looking at the top of your list to see scores that you like a lot. But I, I know you also like all these movies, too. So for me, it's The Magnificent Seven. For me as well. Good. Listening to the score is thrilling. And yes. then watching the movie is thrilling to the degree that you're listening to the score. Yep. <laughs> Dead on. Okay, that was a good game. All right, what's left? All right, what's left? Clip 21. Let's do the last five clips here. There's only five movies left that they could be. And I think I know which ones they are. Let's see. Here we go. 21. Oh boy. Uh, have you picked something that is, again, an extreme of its movie? In a sense, it is an extreme, yeah. It is a moment that I was struck by in the movie as being more assertive than 
much of the rest of the movie. Is this some moment of shoot 'em up action in How the West Was Won? Essentially, yes. Good. Essentially, good. This is the moment when Robert Preston says, here they come, circle of wagons, or something like that, and then we cut to an overhead shot of the Cheyennes charging at the wagon train. Uh, that's right. Robert Preston is in this movie. Jeez. Yes. All right, let's get moving. This is the crane-on-a-truck type shot of the massive Indians, you know, charging to attack the wagon train. Okay, I'll take my, what do I get here, 91 points for that? I'll give you 100 points. Oh, yeah? It's fine. Shooting's about to happen. Shooting's about to happen in the movie. All right, cool. Home stretch now. Four to go. Oh, wait for it. I am. <laughs> oh, that was, <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Golly. What do we have left, even? Hold on. I'm going to say that this is some surprise appearance of the bad guy, uh, like an ambush kind of situation in The Magnificent Seven. That is correct. Yeah. This is when they have gone off to, I forget, check out where the bad guys are sleeping, and then they don't find yeah, them, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. come back to town, and when they get back to town... Yep, 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 yep. That's what I thought. Boom! Buenos noches! <laughs> Excellent. Buenos noches! <laughs> All right. I thought it was a scene just like that, and it was a scene just like that. Yeah. Once you know that that's what it is, you can sort of hear the Elmer Bernstein textures yeah. in there and that, that high Western string note to show that it's a Western night, and then the full force of the orchestra for how bad this bad guy is. Yeah. All right. Three to go. Three to go. 23. Ooh. Aren't you glad I put this one toward the end? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot that I would have been tempted to think that it might be. In point of fact, though, I believe that this is that this is the tail end of the nighttime adventure taken by the children into Kill a Mockingbird. Yes, for getting it all in the first sentence, I'm giving you 250 points for yes. that one. <laughs> That is exactly what it is. That is the, what are you going to do about your pants moment? Yeah, yeah, the pants. Right, right. When Jim leaves his pants behind at this Bouvier house. What are you going to do with the pants, Jim? I don't know. That's exactly what it is. And you can hear all the ways that that is misleading. Yes, I can. It's very characteristic of Elmer Bernstein doing childhood adventure. It's both fun and scary kind of rhythmic thing going around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. There are two movies left on the list. I think I know which ones they are. And if you have found pieces of music <laughs> that could plausibly be either of them, I'm going to be very impressed and a little suspicious. No, I didn't make the quiz that way. I pulled the clips and then put them in an order that I thought gave you a fighting chance. So I did not try to work out these last two. This was giving me a fighting chance? Compared to the one the random order. Poof. Who, brother? <sighs> Boy, if that Mockingbird clip had been at the beginning, yeah. you would have been mad. <laughs> you would have been mad. Ah, I'm a l- <laughs> I know, I know, you're a little bit mad. I'm but a you're little not as bit mad, mad anyway, jeez. You're not as mad as you would have been. Okay, here we go. All right, here's 24. Okay. 
This, as we all know, is the famous horsehead moment in The Godfather. <laughs> no. No! No, this is Laura. This is, I'm going to guess, the climactic ending of Laura when uh, Clifton Webb is struggling against uh, the police or something like that. It is the only fast part of Laura. He is about to shoot her. She pushes yes, the yes, rifle yes. away. He runs out and gets shot. There you go. should be, as we always will be. <laughs> action climax that lasts exactly as long as that clip the action climax because of laura that was clear uh all right and now clip 25 and now clip 25 <laughs> <laughs> well i through process of elimination <laughs> through process of elimination i know that this is the godfather but Again, you found the absolute lowest point. Now, understand, The Godfather has no proper soundtrack album. It only has an album of themes. They don't even represent quite the way they are in the movie. Now, as you heard there, that's music from the movie because the sound effects are there. There's no music on the album that is not part of one of the famous themes from The Godfather. And this is the only cue in the movie that is not part of one of the famous themes from The Godfather and also doesn't have dialogue over it. So this is the (laughs) only possible clip. Do you know what scene it is? Sounds like somebody starts a car at the end there. Let me think. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I heard somebody hang up a phone and then there's a car starting. So is this when uh, uh, Sonny goes to uh, his doom? To his doom. Not quite, but close. This is a cue called, this is the entirety, I believe, of a cue called Sicilian Message. What does that mean to you? Ah. Luca Brasi sluice with the fishes. That's right. That's right. They have just processed what the fish means, and that is the transition out of that scene. Oof. Very good. <sighs> you did it. Your total is one million points. <laughs> Amazing that it just happened to work out to that round number. A perfect score is what it is. Uh, listeners, I, I think I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> about this i'm certainly sorry about this but i'm also not because that was the intention for it to be exactly like this okay well i'm sorry about that <laughs> i'm sorry that we're doing a podcast with somebody who intended for that to happen come on wasn't it fun to walk down memory lane and walk down the path not taken down memory lane <laughs> hasn't that made all the difference <laughs> yeah there were many occasions of two scores diverging in a wood here yes and we chose the one that was overgrown with weeds or whatever he says, yes. <laughs> you chose that one. I chose that one. I unfailingly yes. chose the one that was not identifiable. The Path Less Identifiable, I think is the name of that poem. All right. So what is our path going forward? We have now gotten to the end of the path that the AFI laid out for us, which... Purportedly. We, no, they definitely did lay it out for us. That's true, yes. And we have gotten to the end. Yeah. Like we said at the end of last episode... I think it really was to the benefit of the show to have these things be assigned to us, to have them be a little bit outside of our control. So how do you think we should try to replicate that feature going forward, Andy? Uh, Well, this is something I've done in my personal cultural endeavors many different ways over the years where I just find some list of stuff that I'm interested in and then I generate a random number and go to the one it tells me to go to. So that's the scheme that occurs to me as the way forward. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I think that's about right. I think that we should kind of curate a bucket of scores. Yeah. 
and we can put into the bucket notable scores that were not covered by the list, perhaps that, you know, just missed out being on the list. I think it would be great to put in a bunch of much more recent scores. The most recent score on this list is 1986, for crying out loud. I think we should really try to load it up with some more recent stuff. It was really fun to get to talk about current stuff in the Oscars episodes. It would be fun to, to be a little bit more contemporary. I think we can also absolutely take listener suggestions for movies to throw into the bucket. Uh, Many listeners already have made suggestions, and we'll throw them in there. But then we should do a random lottery drawing out of the bucket. It's out of our hands. Yeah, I agree. And hey, you know, there are other ways that we could think of doing episodes. Andy, weren't we bandying about the idea of doing some episodes that were sort of more in the mold of the Oscar show, where we, you know, take a grouping of movies and touch on each of them more briefly? Many different groupings we could make in the future if we wanted. Yeah, historical groupings by year. We could do the Oscars from some past year or just, you know, notable scores of that year. Or we could group by composer and look at a bunch of scores in a row by the same composer or any number of comparative groups. Or uh, subject matter, what have you. That's right. Yeah. And I would enjoy that. I think that'd be fun too. But we'll mix it up. We'll do some of those and some one-offs, some from the bucket. Sure. We don't have to box ourselves in. But yeah, let's at least get this bucket going. Now, for this very first drawing out of the bucket, you were saying that you thought it would be a good idea if we dealt with a composer that we had not covered previously on the AFI's list. Yeah, I think to celebrate our breaking away from the AFI's sure. tyranny, <laughs> we should pick from a sub-bucket now. Of a sub-bucket. Only composers who haven't yet showed their face on this show. We'll go back to the main bucket after a couple of those. At least not shown their face in a full episode, right? I think we're allowing in ones that we touched on for the Oscars. Sure. All right. Sure, there's some of those in there. I think, so. I think that's fair. The list we're looking at here is sort of compiled from the long list that the AFI was working from when they made the 25 short list. They also put out, a, I think, a 200 long list. And then there are many other sites on the web that have done greatest scores type lists, some of which are greatest recent scores, some of which are greatest classic scores. So we have kind of glommed them all into one big bucket and then taken the cream off the top, the names that came up the most often. And it's a pretty good list of the types of scores we want to talk about. And then we've also, like I said, put in some listener suggestions. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it's got suggestions that have been sent to us. Okay. So from out of this bucket, we have assembled a sub-bucket here of, yes, scores by composers to whom we have not devoted full episodes already, and uh, scores that are more recent, of more recent vintage, because, again, I think that is something that is... Was underrepresented on the AFI Underrepresented, list. almost non-represented, really. Indeed, yeah. So I think out of the gate, that would be a good set of criteria from amongst this big bucket we've got, and I will now draw the first movie. Are you ready, Andy? Can we get some spooky music? Can we get like a bingo cage sound effect? Oh, I see. You want it like they're blowing all around in the cage? All right. Yeah. Or, you know, one of those crank things where you turn and then the balls flop around. All right. In addition to some anticipation music, what do you got for anticipation music? Uh, how about this? Great. All right. And the answer is the next score... <laughs> I'm nervous about this, Andy. How do you feel? I'm looking forward to knowing. I'm not nervous. I'm very nervous. Here we go. The score is... American Beauty by Thomas Newman. Oh, a good one. Yeah, that's an interesting score. Influential score. Very influential. Oh, we'll get to talk about how influential it is. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Sure. 
We just have to come up with a new thing to say at the beginning that doesn't have the word purportedly in it, but I bet we'll be able to come up with such a thing. Sure. Luckily, we do not have to come up with a new thing to say at the end. Because Because we we never did. Never had one. All right, people, thanks for listening to this, the purely self-indulgent episode that came after the slightly less self-indulgent episodes. And we hope you stick with us into this new era of even more random stuff. If you like the show, leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. If you want to talk back to us, we are on Twitter at Scoresettlers. Or to suggest movies for the bucket. Oh, yeah. Throw your hat in the bucket. Throw your movie in the hat. Hat bucket. Yeah, please do. If you tell us something really ridiculous, it might magically not come up in the randomizer, but it will be in the bucket That's in right. some respect. <laughs> yep. My masochism, I think, is greater than John's. I mean, mm-hmm. if someone told us we had to do some stupid thing, I'd be like, let's do it. Let's go for it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> give it a shot. You've got at least one person here who... <laughs> Who's game? No, look, we're going to hold ourselves to this. Some of the movies that come up are going to be crowd pleasers, and some of them are going to be less heralded movies, but it's important that we get exposed to many different things. Yeah, and also, if you want to propose out-of-bucket concepts, like the uh, why don't you do all yeah. you know, submarine movies or whatever, we'll take that too. We're interested. I would totally do an episode on submarine movies. I love submarine movies. Yeah. How do they sound? What kind of music do you want to hear in your submarine, John? Sure. Think about it. I have some ideas. Yeah, I bet you do. All right, Andy. I'm excited to move into this new chapter, and I'm glad you're uh, still along for the ride with me. Likewise, John. Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs>